Amen. I love that prayer. Lord, give us ears to hear. You're going to hear my voice today. And I'm sorry to some of you about that. I know my kids and my wife, they hear my voice all the time. But hopefully we're here today to hear the voice of the Lord through the Holy Spirit from Scripture and as He speaks to our hearts to change us and make us more like Jesus. I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. You may be finding that on your your devices or perhaps your finding it there in in your print Bible. If you can't find it, you need help, don't have any shame. Ask a friend next to you and we'll find and make sure that you can find it in your Bibles here today. But I want to express once again, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. And and not just for you mothers and grandmothers, and I don't know if we have any great grandmothers here today, uh, biologically speaking, but, but being a part of the family of Jesus means we're a part of a much deeper and richer and bigger and significant family than even our biological families. We're a part of the family of God. So to all of you ladies, those of you who mentor our young people, teach our kids, help one another in small groups, love each other, it's that tender, loving, motherly care that that saints are to give to one another. And so today is not just a celebration of our biological moms or adopted moms or like a mom, but you women in this fellowship here today, we are so appreciative of you. Thank you so much for being a part of this family with us at Fairfax Bible Church. But for those of you that are biological moms and grandmas and even great-grandmas today, we've got a small gift for you today. Uh, So please, before you leave, do not forget as you go out the lobby, there's a table there. I've already seen it. It's beautiful. You did not see it when you came in. You don't want to miss it. And uh, for those of you dads, husbands, uh, sons, uh, grandsons, make sure that that lovely lady in your life today gets that gift on the way out today. Uh, Let's read together, though, in Acts 14. We're going to read the entire chapter here this morning, so have some patience as we read through this story together. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Follow along as I read aloud. It says this, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now this is Paul and Barnabas. We've been following their journey. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia. And to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. 
But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders from them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they had sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remain no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. We've been looking through uh, the last several chapters, Acts 12 through 14, and we've been seeing uh, uh, this first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul is highlighted from, from these chapters all the way forward. His ministry to take the good news about Jesus to the non Jewish world, to the Roman Empire, to the Gentiles. But we've seen as this journey's gone along that it's not been an easy road. It's been a very difficult road. And as we just saw in this passage here today, as this first missionary journey wraps up, Paul goes through some of the most dangerous moments that he experienced in ministry. Even being stoned as they assumed to death. So we've seen this life of living sent. As followers of Jesus, it's it's not just good enough for us to say, I've received the benefits of the gospel, that my sins have been forgiven, as we just sang, and my future is heaven. It's not just that, but that Jesus also has commissioned us as his follower to go and live sent to proclaim the good news about him so that others may receive him and be forgiven of their sins. And so we're seeing that this living scent, this mission that we're all called to, is a dangerous mission. And so we've been looking at how as we go and live scent, we must be fully aware with eyes wide open that this mission is a dangerous one. There is danger ahead, but as we've seen throughout every portion of this story of this missionary journey, we as those who live scent can have hope because we're a part of a bigger story. We're a part of a bigger story than just the story of pain and hurt and danger. And we're going to be seeing what that story is here this morning. I, I love a good story. Uh, just not this past week, but the week before was a very special holiday in my family. Maybe some of you have celebrated. Maybe some of you don't. On May 
the 4th. Anybody know where I'm going with this? Star Wars Day. And if you know Star Wars, not Star Trek people, Star Wars, come on, get with it. And the, the saying goes, may the force be with you. And so us Star Wars fans, we say, what is it, JT? May the fourth be with you, right? I know JT is one of our biggest Star Wars fans around. May the fourth be with you. But I, I love the story because we watched A New Hope together, which I think is probably the best episode of them all. But you see the journey of these friends, these unlikely group of people that are together to defeat the forces of evil, represented by that awful villain, Darth Vader. And they, they spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, they destroy the Death Star at the end of episode four, right? But the journey seems absolutely insurmountable. There's danger all the way through. And I love that at the end that they're standing and this just magnificent music and people, soldiers are all there standing and they're giving uh, just great praise and honor to this group of friends that helped defeat the empire and defeat and destroy the Death Star. And the music is just fantastic. But as you look at these heroes, now if you just stepped into the story right then and there, you'd be like, wow, this is, this is really a momentous moment. But what really makes it special is that you saw the journey of the friends together. You saw the dangers that they faced. You saw the trials that they went through. And then when you get to that moment and you see the looks on their faces, the looks of satisfaction and victory and joy and everybody applauds, you realize just how significant that moment is. Friends, the end is significant because of the journey, because of the dangers that are faced. And we're going to be taking a look at that this morning from Acts chapter 14. And this is our big idea today. It's this, living sent is a dangerous journey that leads to a glorious destination. Living scent is a dangerous journey with trials and tribulations and even spiritual Darth Vader's, right? It's a dangerous journey, but it leads to a glorious destination. It leads to that moment, that story that we're a part of, that big story that God has written and that we're just living out when someday we're going to see him face to face as we just sang. And we're going to say, holy, holy is the Lord. And we're going to look back on all of these dangers that, we've, that we have faced as God sent people and say, what a glorious ending. What a glorious destination. And so it's pretty simple today. We're going to just look at two phases of this story. First, the dangerous journey, and then secondly, the glorious destination. Two points, the dangerous journey and the glorious destination. So what was the first danger that, that these friends, that Paul and Barnabas, these apostles, and those that we assume were also with them, though Paul and Barnabas get the highlights here, what were some of these dangers that they faced? Well, the first danger that they faced was division. Division. In chapter 14, uh, verses 1 and 2, we see that Paul and Barnabas, they, they go into this synagogue in Iconium. The synagogue is the place where the Jewish people, they, they celebrate God's uh, salvation of them. Through the Exodus, they read the Torah, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the, the Old Testament <coughs> together, and they reflect upon what God has done in the past. But, but Paul and Barnabas show up and say, it's not just what God has done in the past when he delivered his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, but God has done something even more significant today to deliver us from sin and death and the power of Satan and to give us his new covenant, a new covenant with his people through his son, Jesus Christ. And so they come and they proclaim this good news. And it says that some believe, a great number in fact believe in verse 1, but there were those that were unbelieving Jews. Those that 
that wouldn't listen to the message. Last week we saw that often is the case, it's not that they have intellectual objections, but they don't want to bow to King Jesus. They don't want to give up power and control over their own lives. And so they're unbelieving, not because they ignore the facts, but because their hearts are hard and they do not want to bow to Jesus as Lord and King of all. And so there was this division. You see, the gospel created division. The gospel does that. Jesus warned his friends. He warned his disciples. He said, you're going to experience division like you've never seen before. You're going to see father and son divided. You're going to see mother and daughter divided. You're going to see brother and brother divided. And that's not Jesus' goal, but he comes to proclaim this good news message that reveals the sinful nature of our hearts, but it also gives us hope of eternal life. And so division came. Division came. And so what did Paul and Barnabas do in relation to this division? It says that they remained, verse 3, for a long time, even in the midst of such a divided community, and they spoke boldly for the Lord, and they bore witness to the word of His grace, and God did powerful works through them. Friends, it's the call of those who want to live sent that when you go into dangerous places, even when there's division, to remain faithful to Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that we live quarrelsome for Jesus, or that we live divisively for Jesus. But when the gospel message enters into spaces where people just do not want to receive it and division is created, what are God's people called to do in the midst of that dangerous situation? Stand and remain faithful. Now this division, you have to understand this too, this division, it's asymmetrical. It's not like there's these opponents and they're getting into the boxing ring and they're ready to fight each other. No, this division is asymmetrical. You see, the non-believing Gentiles, the Jews, and the rulers, what were they seeking to do to Paul and Barnabas? They were seeking to mistreat them and to even get them killed, to stone them. And so we see that these guys are going to show up later. They actually travel a hundred miles to track down Paul and Barnabas. It's absolutely amazing. These guys are after the apostles. Because they hate the gospel. And so you think to yourself, well, then it's time for Paul and Barnabas, right, to, to rally the troops, to get people together, to fight fire with fire, right? When there's this, this kind of opposition and this kind of danger, it only makes sense to rally the troops and get ready to fight and stand your ground, right? This division was asymmetrical. It was met with hatred from the unbelievers, but it was met with love from Paul and Barnabas. They stood their ground, and when they saw that the ministry that they were called to do there had come to an end, then they left, and they continued on the mission in the next place. Friends, the division that we experience, this dangerous division that the gospel causes, you have to understand, though the world hates those who live sent, those who live sent do not return that hatred with more hatred. We return it with love. We return it with kindness and grace and forgiveness as we stand our ground. One other thing to see about this division, it's not upon lines that are based upon ethnicity or culture or politics. Where does this division come from? It comes from those who believe the good news and those who do not. Friends, I want to encourage you today. What's the most important thing about you? 
Something that you would say, I believe this with all my heart. And when I find someone else that I know and I hear what they believe and what they think, what are you looking for? Are you looking for political alignment? Are you looking for social and cultural alignment? Ethnic alignment? Language alignment? Or as a follower of Jesus Christ, do you say, my allegiance to him trumps it all. The only thing that I could see that could come between us is that I follow Jesus with all of my heart. Oh, friends, I pray that in this room and in this fellowship and with the other gospel-proclaiming churches in this community that we would find a, a, a similarity, a connection to one another that is found in Jesus above all else. That we don't have to say, well, well, when you vote, is it blue or is it red? What do you believe about this issue or that issue? I hope that we ask ourselves this. What do you believe about Jesus about Jesus. That's where the dividing lines must only be friends. And remember, that division is asymmetrical. We don't fight fire with fire. We return hatred with love. This is the first danger that we see in this story. This dangerous journey includes division. And so the apostles, they, they move on. They go on to another area. Now, this whole region that they're ministering in is modern-day Turkey. They're moving all over different cities, ancient cities, Greek cities, Roman cities. We're going to see it here that they've got a, a priest that's devoted to Zeus and, 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 and this Greek pantheon and Roman pantheon of, of pagan gods that they bow to. And so they're going throughout this region, and they come here and Paul is proclaiming the good news again, and he comes across a crippled man, just like Peter had done. Back in Acts chapter 3, he encountered a man who was lame, and, and Jesus healed him through the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so God does it again through the apostle Paul, showing that Paul's ministry is just as valid and significant as Peter's. And so he tells this man, stand up and be made well. And this guy stands up. Glory be to God, right? It's just powerful. And so the people should look and say, wow, look at the power of the creator that he has shown to heal this man. But is that what the people do? No, they don't. And so the second danger we see is idolatry. Idolatry, not adultery necessarily, though that's a danger too, but idolatry. Bowing to idols, worshiping gods who are not truly the creator God. The power of God was on display. That should have led them to turn away from their idols and say, Paul, Barnabas, tell us about this God that you serve. We've never seen anything like this. But instead, they take the power that they see and they say, we want to use it for our own gods. We want, we want to find our hope and our Messiah in a human figure. We want to set him up and say, we want to sacrifice to you because we're counting on you now to solve all of our problems for us. Their focus turned to the supposed power of human beings. You see, friends, human hearts are born naturally this way. Though we see the power of God in creation, our hearts turn to idols. Our hearts turn to worship. Every one of us is born as a worshiper. It's not a matter of, do I worship or don't I worship? It's a matter of, what or whom do I worship? What or whom do I worship? Paul goes on to tell them, hey, guys, what are you doing? Don't you see that we're just flesh and blood like you? There's no way that we've got any power to be able to, to heal this man and to raise him up so that a crippled man could be healed. Don't, don't you see that we are not gods in human body, but we know one who was God in a human body, and his name's Jesus Christ. You're missing the point here, guys, as Paul goes on to say. And he's got a special message for these guys. 
He says, I, I want you to see that God has been revealing himself to you. Verse 16, it says that in the past generations, God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of, of Jesus Christ, uh, he said he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. You know, what we enjoy every single day ought to point us to the fact that there's a creator who's been loving us over and over and over again. Do you recognize that when you, when you sit down to a simple meal, meal even later? Taking time to reflect and saying, I know this came from the creator of the universe. Idolatry. Idolatry. We are an idolatrous people. It's not if we worship, it's what or whom we worship. And these people in this city, they wanted to elevate and worship Paul and Barnabas and even sacrifice to them. And Paul would have none of it. Now, Paul was faced with another situation very similar to what we had just seen in Acts chapter 12, if you were here a few weeks ago. Herod Agrippa, he was walking around and he was giving this great speech. And the people were trying to kiss up to him and saying, oh, it's the voice of God and not a man. And what happened to him? Anybody remember? He was eaten with worms. And he died. He was struck by God in a moment. Why? Because he didn't give glory to God. And now here Paul is with the same situation. They want to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. They're really just worshiping him. And he says, no way. I'm not falling for this one. I see the danger here. We must worship God alone. He says, don't sacrifice to me. Receive the one who truly is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. Friends, our hearts are prone to worship prone to worship. And as we go out into this world, there's so many idols that we could face. You may say to yourself, Matthew, what are you talking about? I, I don't go out and see idols in our culture. Oh, friends, we're not too sophisticated to have idols. We've got idols all over the place. Some of them might be parked out in our parking lot today, or we might drive home to them later, or we might clock in tomorrow to our idol. It could be our career, our, our possessions, our relationships, but above all, the thing that we're prone to worship the most is the one that we see in the mirror every single day. Myself. I worship me. And so we gravitate toward strong personalities. We gravitate toward those who seem to have authority and power. And we say, there's my hope. That if, if we could just get him into power or get him into office, all of our problems will be solved and we become just like the people who are seeking to make an idol out of Paul and Barnabas. Friends, those who are called to live sent must show a watching world that we don't put our trust in humans. We don't put our trust in idols. We don't put our trust in the God who raises the dead. We are called to avoid this danger, to flee from this danger, and to prophetically speak against this danger of idolatry. Well, what's, what's the, next, the next danger that they faced it's ironic here. I mean, it's, it's hypocritical even, right? It says in verse 18, they could even keep these people from sacrificing to Paul and Barnabas. But it says Jews came from Antioch. Again, they traveled 100 miles. And they saw Paul and Barnabas and said, ah, we found them. And we're going to speak out against them. And they turned the crowd against Paul and Barnabas. I mean, in just a few verses before, these people are ready to worship Paul and Barnabas and ready to sacrifice to them. But their hearts are turned so quickly from wanting to sacrifice to them, to make them an actual sacrifice, to kill them. It says that 
the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, they persuaded the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They stoned Paul. Now think about this. Put, put yourself in, in Paul's shoes for a moment. There you are, and you may be thinking to yourself, this is it. <laughs> this is it. And it's not just a death, it's a painful death. And, and you're hit with these large stones. And, and what's amazing here is that the, the stoning is a, is a Jewish practice. It's not a Gentile practice. But yet here Gentiles are joining these Jewish religious leaders that have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And they're casting stones down at Paul. And if you're Paul, in a moment, one final blow to the head knocks you unconscious. They drag you out of the city, and the next moment that you wake up, I'm sure with more pain than you've ever experienced in your life. What do you feel? Pain. Despair. Shame. That was humiliating. That was absolutely humiliating. We're not told now how Paul uh, recovered. I, I don't know. How, how do you recover from that? How do you come back from that? Some commentators believe that this was a miracle that happened, that that Paul was able to get up after such an ordeal. Now, I, I don't know if that's true. We do know that they thought that he was dead, but nevertheless, he gets up. Maybe Luke leaves out some details, you know, about the, the recovery time that it took before he could get up uh, and move around the city and go back out. Maybe the disciples gathered him and healed him there, you know, cared for him and, and gave him medicine and, and wrapped his wounds. We, we don't know, but I think we don't know the exact story because of this. Luke doesn't want us to be so concerned about how it is that Paul got up, but that Paul got up. He got up and he endured in the mission. This is one of the most amazing stories that I think we could read in the Bible. For someone to be so committed to the cause that he's stoned, left for dead, and gets up and he carries on with the mission. Friends, this is called perseverance. Perseverance endurance, stick to right? Whatever you want to fill it in there with, with the blank, what is it that keeps you going? Paul had something in his heart and in his mind that kept him going from the mission. I'll be honest with you. If I were to go through this, I thought about this this week. I think, Lord, forgive me. I, I think I would have gone home. I think I would have gone into hiding. I think I would forget this. This is too much for me. Lord, you got to pick somebody else that's going to sign up for this mission. But Paul had a purpose inside of him that caused him to endure. Now, is this because he's a super apostle? Is this because he's some sort of like angel in the flesh? What would cause him to do that? Well, we see that the, the thing that kept him enduring, the thing that kept him fueled to keep going forward for himself is the same thing that he's passing on to the disciples. Because this, this journey is dangerous. Living sent is a dangerous journey, but there's a part two to this story. It leads to a glorious destination. It leads to a glorious destination. And Paul was saying, I'm not done here because I've got to keep moving because I know what is ahead. Look at verse 22. And I think verse 22, really, 21 and 22, they really wrap up what we've been talking about in this whole series, Danger Ahead. I want to read it one more time together. It says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium, and to Antioch. This is the place where they were facing all of the division, 
where they were facing all of the idolatry, where they were facing all of the persecution, even stoning to death, Paul makes a circuit back, and I'm sure he could say, look at my wounds. Look at this, this bruising and this wrap around my head. I was nearly stoned to death. Galatians, Paul writes in Galatians 6, he says, let no one bother me anymore, for I bear in my body the marks of Christ. And that doesn't mean that he's pierced as, as Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. It means that he's bearing the marks for Jesus. And so I'm sure he can walk around and people are probably thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, what happened to this guy? This is terrible. This is awful. And to hear this message from him, now listen to this message. It says that he went there and he was strengthening the souls of the disciples. A weak bloody, bruised man is strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to do what? To abandon the faith? No, to continue in the faith. And he gives them part of the story and he says this, that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through tribulations we must. The word there, it is necessary. And when Luke and the gospel writers use that word, it's one word, day, it is necessary. It's always referred to the plan of God and the work of his people. It was true of Jesus. Jesus says, it is necessary that I go to Jerusalem and that I go and be handed over to the, the, the religious leaders and to the Romans and be crucified. It is necessary. They kept, his disciples kept asking Jesus, why are you doing this? Why are you going? And he said, it is necessary. Why? Because it's part of the plan of God to rescue sinners from death. It's necessary. And Paul says, just like it was necessary for our Lord, it is necessary for us that through, by the means of trials and tribulations and facing divisions and walking through a, a community and culture of idolatry and even being persecuted, it's through these, by the means of these, that we enter the kingdom of God. I was reading one commentator. He said this, hardship is a key ingredient of discipleship. Hardship is a key ingredient of discipleship. Friends, if you, if you sprinkle in a little bit of joy, a little bit of excitement, a little bit of Bible reading, a little bit of prayer and worship, and you sprinkle it all into this bowl to bake a cake of what does it mean to be a, a disciple of Jesus, I think Paul is teaching us that you got to remember to sprinkle in the ingredient that God has called us to hardship to enter the kingdom of God. It's a hard message. I'll tell you, this isn't a way to attract friends or to build big, big churches, I don't think. But it's the message of the gospel. Hardship is a key ingredient of discipleship. The Apostle Paul says, he's, he's speaking to the Thessalonian church, he says, we've sent to you our brother Timothy, and he's God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, and, and he's being sent to you because I want him to encourage you, and to exhort you, and to challenge you, and to get you, give you courage, because he, I, he says, I don't want you to be moved by the afflictions that you're facing. He says, for you yourselves, Thessalonians, know that we are destined for this, for afflictions for hardships, for trials. We go through trials. But that, I love, I love grammar. I'm a grammar nerd. Any grammar nerds here? I love grammar. What kind of part of speech is the word through? Anybody know? 
Ah, somebody got it. It's a preposition. It's a preposition. It, it locates two things together. And, and I'm so glad that Paul didn't say that you have to go to the destination of trials. You have to go to hardships. You have to sit under hardships or above hardships or next to hardships. What does he say? You must go through tribulations. You must go through them by the means of them. Meaning this, that these tribulations, you have to go through them. They're the road, but they're not the destination. They're not the destination, friend. I love the, the song by John Newton. We sing it often. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The third verse goes this way. How uh, through many, through, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. You can see Paul singing that. I've got a wrap around my head because I was nearly stoned to death. But tis grace, the grace of Jesus, the grace of the gospel has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. I'm going home through the trials, through the tribulations. Uh, David writes in Psalm 23, I go through the valley of the shadow of death, Right? For those that live sent, those who are disciples, yeah, hardship is a key ingredient of discipleship, but praise God, it's not part of the final destination. We go through hardships to get to that place. Where is that place? It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Friends, we, 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 the Bible is full of this language of the kingdom of God. We don't appreciate it because I want to live in a democracy. I want to live in a republic. I want to have a say in it all. Well, friends, I love that we live in a democracy, but the best government that anybody could ever imagine is King Jesus on his throne, ruling in justice and truth and righteousness and grace that God is coming one day to restore all things. And if you know Jesus, you get to be a part of that world. You get to be a part of that world. Now, we, we got a lot of young people in this room, and some of you may think that I'm one of those, and some of you don't think that I'm one of those, right? But as a young person, what do you think about? What do you dream about? You dream about getting your driver's license. You dream about graduating high school. You dream about maybe going to college. You think about the career that you're going to have. You might think about maybe someday I'm going to get married and have children, or maybe not. Maybe you've got other plans and other hopes and dreams and goals. Whatever it may be, I want to travel all over the world. But as you get older, you start to appreciate as you go through the tribulations, as you go through the trials, as you go through the hardships, you think to yourself, I can't wait into that day when I see King Jesus. King Jesus, and I get to be with him. You see, the kingdom of God has already broken into the present age of this world. But there's coming a day when King Jesus will return from heaven and put his feet firmly on the ground of this earth, and he will defeat every enemy of, and wickedness, and he's going to make all things new. Jesus told his disciples, he says, you've stayed. You're those who have stayed with me through all these trials. And he says, I assign to you as my father has assigned to me a kingdom. He says, it's my father's pleasure to, to give you the kingdom. The writer of Hebrews, who I think might have been Barnabas, we're not sure, but he says that, that we go to Jesus outside the camp and we bear the, the reproach, the hatred that he endured because as, as the he, writer of Hebrews is saying, here we don't have a lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. 
Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. But grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. You see, I think one of the purposes of hardship that God puts in our lives is so that we would crave home. That we would long for home. Hebrews also says that that we should be grateful receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. A kingdom that can't be shaken. There are no nuclear weapons or tanks or bombs or terrorists or earthquakes or, or, or tsunamis or, or hurricanes or tornadoes that can threaten this kingdom. We belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You see, friends, I think what, what we often think of is, you know, the best I could hope for if I'm going through hardship is consolation. It's consolation. That someone would, would just come alongside me and, and put an arm around me and, and hug me and say, you know what, it's over and you're going to be okay now. Now, certainly Jesus does console our hearts, but he says, I'm going to give you something better. Not just consolation, but restoration. I'm going to take all of the hurt and I'm going to take all the pain and I'm not just going to give you a pat on the back and say, hey, thanks for hanging in there for me. Here's an attaboy for that, right? Now you could just live on this little cloud in heaven and you could float around, you know, and just kind of be free from all that hard stuff. And he says, no, I'm going to actually leave. I'm going to bring heaven down here to earth and you're going to see me transform and restore every pain, every heartache, every sorrow, And I'm going to give you life and pleasure forever and ever and ever if you're trusting in me through the trials. He says, I'm giving you a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The gospel doesn't just give us consolation. It gives us restoration. And that's what Paul says. Through many tribulations, we must, it's necessary that we go through them. That's the road to the kingdom. That's the road to the kingdom. That's God's story. He opened a door of fate to the Gentiles. Paul goes back and Barnabas, they go back to the city where they started from, to that church community, and they say, hey, you know what? We just went on an amazing journey. And and the people there, the church there in Antioch, are like, tell us all about it. I tell you what, the story I would have told is, man, it was dangerous. It was so hard. Uh, We got persecuted. Uh, we, we faced all of these idolatrous people. There was division everywhere. We were on the run. And even Paul here, you could see some of the scars. He nearly got stoned to death. Is that the story they tell? No. God did a mighty work through all of it. Yeah, there were challenges, but people entered the kingdom of God. Friends, that's the story. That's the story for you and for me as we live sent as danger is ahead. You've been praying for your ones I've been praying for my ones, the people that each of us know, those, that one person that we want to see come to faith in Jesus Christ. And it may be hard. You may be rejected. They may divide themselves from you. But guess what? That's not the story. The story is this, is that some will believe and enter the kingdom of God with us. That's the story that God is writing. Pay attention to the story There's a great story. We talked about Star Wars earlier. There's a great story that's much older than Star Wars. It was written in 1678 by John Bunyan. Listen to this. It's it's the Pilgrim's Progress. You've heard it referred to as Pilgrim's Progress. The Pilgrim's Progress, and here's the full title, From This World to That Which Is to Come. The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which Is to Come. 
And if you're not familiar with the story, it's a story of a, of a man named Christian. He grows up in the city of destruction. But he hears, he's got this, well, first of all, he's got this heavy backpack, this heavy burden. And, and as John Bunyan writes, he's, he's writing it in, in reference to his sin. He just feels the weight of this sin and brokenness that we're all born with. But he wants to get rid of it. And he hears the news that there's a city far off and there's a savior who can deliver him, a king who can rescue him from all of these heavy, heavy burdens. And so he sets out on a journey. Eventually he comes up to the cross and, and he finds salvation and rescue from his burden of sin at the cross. And, and as he confesses uh, uh, faith in this Jesus of this cross, this burden is lifted from him. But that's not the end of the story because as we see through many dangers, toils, and snares, we get to that kingdom, right? So he starts off on this journey, and I'll fast forward, but in, in the sixth stage of the story, Christian is joined by a man named Faithful, and they're about to enter into the city called Vanity Fair. And this person that first had told Christian about this celestial city, about this great hope that he could have, he says he meets uh, uh, Christian and Faithful along the way before they enter into the city Vanity Fair, a very sinful and wicked city. And this is what evangelists tell these two followers, these two journeymen, these, this Christian and this faithful. He says, let the kingdom always be before you and believe steadfastly concerning the things that are invisible. My sons, you've heard it in the word of the truth of the gospel that you must, that through many tribulations enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, that in every city bonds and afflictions abide for you. Therefore, you can't expect that you should go along on your pilgrimage without them in some sort of the other you will soon come into a town that you will by and by see before you. And in that town, you will be hardly beset with enemies who will strain hard, but they will kill you. And be you sure that one or both of you must seal the testimony which you hold with blood, but be faithful unto, the de unto death, and the king will give you a crown of life. And so they go into the city. And as they go into the city, they're, they're going around Vanity Fair, and, and everybody notices that Christian and faithful, their clothes look different. They're dressed differently. And in fact, they don't understand their speech. They, they talk differently. And, and, and in Vanity Fair, they're trying to sell all of these different goods with re represent all these different vices and sins. And they said, oh, do you want to buy something of these? And they say, no, we, we just want to buy truth. And these people turned on Christian and faithful and hated them because they wouldn't buy the goods of the city of Vanity and so what did the people do? They, they took them and they beat them and bespeared them with dirt and then put them into a cage that they might be made a spectacle to all the men of the fair. And then Christian and, and faithful, they remembered the words of evangelist. They called to mind again what they heard from their faithful friend. And they were the more confirmed in their way and sufferings by what he told would happen to them. And so they comforted each other. And so what they did is they spared Christian, but they killed Faithful. They killed him. And, and it says here that it seemed that it was the end of Faithful. But in that moment, what Christian sees behind this, this vision beyond Faithful was that these chariots came by and took up Faithful and instantly led him to the celestial city. And it gave Christian great hope. And so you may think to yourself, what was the purpose of all this? Why did John Bunyan include this, this story in his, his great novel, his great poetic novel, right? The next movement says this. He says, I saw in my dream that Christian went forth not alone. Even though faithful was gone, Christian was not alone. For there was one whose name was Hopeful. 
Well, who's this person? How did he become hopeful? Well, he became hopeful by beholding Christian and faithful in their words and in their behaviors and in their suffering in the midst of this wicked city, Vanity Fair. And hopeful says, I'm going to join myself to these guys. There's something about them. And he entered into a brotherly covenant with Christian, and he told them that there would be more that would follow after him. Thus, one, being faithful, died to bear the testimony to the truth, and another rises out of his ashes to be a companion with Christian in his pilgrimage. This hopeful also told Christian that there were many more of the men of the fair who would take their time and follow after. Friends, this is, this is our big idea as we live sent. Living sense a dangerous journey, but it leads to a glorious destination. For some of you, some of you may be facing that kind of hardship right now. Maybe it's, it's division or idolatry that you see around you and you're just not willing to bow to it. You, your spiritual clothes and your spiritual speech, they just look different because you're loyal to Jesus. Maybe people mock you, they tease you. Maybe they just don't want to have anything to do with your gospel message and the commitment that you have to Jesus and they just trample it under. And it may get to the point where you lose something very precious to you because of it. Maybe it's a relationship or a job or whatever, whatever it may be, but there might be some around you as they see your faithfulness say they love something more than this world. They love something more than this world. That's what it means to, to journey into the danger. It's not that we love the thrill of a dangerous life. It's because we love the king and the kingdom that he's called us to. That's what it takes to see people become turning from doubtful to hopeful when they see the love that you and I have for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It may be your one. It may be a friend of your one that you're seeking to reach but when they see your faithfulness in the face of danger, they say, I want what he has. I want what she has. A peace that's unlike any other peace. A love that's unlike any other love. A hope that's unlike anything I've ever seen in this world. Living scent is a dangerous journey that leads to a glorious destination. But what does this mean for Monday? How can danger, division, living obediently in idolatrous culture, persecution. How can this be a part of God's plan? If you face it, you likely want to run from it. You might be like me. I, I, at times I feel like I want to abandon God's plan. But remember, hardship is a key ingredient of discipleship. Why? Why is it key? Well, because of who we follow. That's what it means to be a disciple. It means to be a learner and follower of Jesus. Remember the words of, of the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 too, it says, Keep looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why do we go into dangerous places? Because our Savior did. It's not that we're looking to my pastor or my elder or my small group leader. I just want to follow them because they seem really strong. They seem really tough. They seem like they have a lot of perseverance. No, as followers of Jesus, we look to the master. We look to Jesus, the one who suffered for our sakes to give us endurance and hope that we could be a part of his kingdom. Friend, if you feel weak today, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus you never look more like Jesus than when you live sent through the ingredient of hardship. 
through the trials, through the tribulations, through the divisions, through the persecutions, you may have a hopeful standing by you, just like was standing by Christian, watching. And as you remain faithful in this vanity fair that we live in, in this city of the world, as they see your faithfulness and your endurance and going through it for the joy set before you and your king, they may too look and see that king and say, I want to put my hope in him too. Friends, that's who we follow in this dangerous journey. It's not just Paul. It's not Barnabas. It's not me. It's not our elders. We're following Jesus together. And we have a sure confidence that he's going to get us through the hardship to that lasting city. And I want to invite our, our team to come up as we close in worship and prayer. But I want to ask you today, for those of you that have never planted your feet in the sure foundation of Jesus, in that king, and in that kingdom that cannot be shaken, what kingdom are you living for? What kingdom are you living for? Think, think about this. Maybe, maybe you think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm going to set up myself to have a really strong and sure retirement. Oh, you're going to trust in the stock market, huh? There's like the most unsure thing in all the world, right? Or maybe you think to yourself, I'm going to exercise and be really healthy so I can live as long as I possibly can. Friends, we know that we could be struck with an illness in a moment and that health could just be gone in a second. What is your firm foundation of a kingdom? Are you setting your sights and your hopes in the shaky kingdom of this world or will you look to Jesus and will you see those around you that are saying, we're willing to face the danger because we're trusting in the king who's given us an unshakable kingdom? Why don't you come today, receive Jesus. He'd give you a hope and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Look to him today and he'll give you more hope and peace than you could have ever imagined because he is our firm foundation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that Jesus has given us a firm foundation. He's the rock that we stand upon. And because of him, we can see that even though we may have hardships and trials and tribulations in this life, we're not just going to them. We're going through them. We're going to a kingdom and a king that cannot be shaken. So would you give us courage in our hearts today to continue, to persevere, to keep going, to keep following like Christian and faithful in Pilgrim's Progress. That even if we were to die, we'd say, I will not give up allegiance to my Lord because we have an unshakable kingdom. And for the one here today that's putting their hopes and dreams and goals and they're seeking to find peace in a kingdom that this world is trying to offer them, Lord, I pray that they'd see that that kingdom is not even shaking it's going to crumble to the ground. Oh, that you'd move upon their hearts, that they'd say, I want to be a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I want to trust in the king who is Jesus Christ, the Lord, who suffered ahead of me in my place so that I can have entrance into his kingdom through faith in his name. Please do that in the heart of one or two or more here today that have never entered the kingdom of Jesus. We love you. We thank you that you, Lord Jesus, are our firm foundation. And we sing that to you now. It's in your name we pray.